enemies of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to the Crow Triple Seven live stream. Jason Lingard is with me, and I want everyone in the chats to know um, the reason I'm not logged in and in the chat room is I'm doing my best to keep censorship off Jason's channel for as long as we can. We both know as it grows, it's going to catch up. But I swear, every time I log into one of these things, some censorship follows. So that's why I'm not logged in, just so everyone knows. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Jason. Well, it's a fine good evening here. How about you? Um, good. I'm kind of exhausted, man. I've been doing so much research. And as you know, I had to trade my car in. I had a, an old 2013 that was getting to it. Um, but uh, here we are. And uh, we have... I, I don't even remember. We've got a number of questions we still have to get through from submitted, uh, from questions submitted by uh, by subscribers. Yes, we do. We have uh, I don't know, fifteen or so left. Yeah, um, and to everyone out there, um, I want to say we do our best to take on every question and give it its due. But you got to realize, man, we are on nonstop. And I did get some emails letting me know people felt like I dropped the ball. So that's on me. So I apologize to those people. I'll try to stay on focus. Um, with two shows a week now that are solely ours, uh, just the amount of research and everything else that goes along with it is, is getting to be overwhelming. But um, do we have anything to talk about before we get into this, Jason? Well, we should probably mention what we're going to be releasing this week, which is our friend John Brisson. Episode 198. Right, so... Right. You know, I'm getting a huge lag. Am I lagging out for you or is everything cool? Um, I think you're laggy. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, but Mr. Brisson will go live on the next episode. And there have been so many people with questions about health, about water, about a lot of things. And I've told people to wait for Mr. Brisson's episode to come up because almost certainly he can answer with more intelligence than I can. Um, he's very knowledgeable and the scope of his knowledge is actually kind of mind bending and it all revolves around your digestion and your gut. And I've heard from so many people, that's where health starts. I think there's something to it. So for all you people out there who have had concerns that you want to address next time with Brisson, uh, you'll have a contact. Yep. -er. All right, so that's going to be coming up then. And then we also finally got in touch with a gentleman who does ayahuasca, and that'll be the following episode. That's already recorded, and quite an interesting chat that was as well. Right, that was quite an eye-opener, an expert on ayahuasca um, who got into medical fields, learned about it, learned more about it, and said, this is what I'm going to do, has been trained up by shamans, goes down to South America, and I mean way south in South America, all the way down to Peru, um, and we got a lot of good insider knowledge, and this is good good information um, because I get so many questions from people, is it good to do mushrooms, is it good to do LSD, and I say the same thing every time. Um, there's a difference between getting high, taking a trip, and actually trying to spiritually evolve. And I suggest, this is my point of view, without training of some kind from a qualified, what I'll call shaman, chances are you're just taking a trip and getting high. Um, there is a long tradition on how to utilize substances like this, not LSD, by the way, not LSD, other naturally occurring substances. So that's what we'll cover in the I ayahuasca episode uh often called aya and also episode 200 we've got a hell of a an episode that I, I don't know months of research on my part um to put together um 
a good outline of what science fiction actually is and, and why it came to be and what it's used for. Yep, I've been doing research on that too. I've, I've added a bunch to uh, the notes that Crow's given me, and I'm going to add a few more points in and send it over to him because it's just about done. It looks like Suzette's saying your audio is low. Yeah, I'm um, playing all right, this. It, I can, I can. Uh, seems like for for some reason it's always lower on the on the live streams, but I'll just kick that up a few decibels there. Let me know how that is. Well, we've had some problems with Skype. Um, I'm I'm actually about ready to suggest we move to something else permanently. Um, we just recorded with Athen Comente, and it was a nightmare. Um, kept dropping like three, four times as we tried to record for two hours. And that's another one that's coming up. There's a great episode on everything going on with the Sky Clock in 2020. And there is a hell of a lot going on with the Sky Clock. Anyhow, Jason, shall we jump All in right. to questions? Yes, indeed. We are up to Book Food is the name. Crow, I know you are resistant to the idea of expressing your personal opinion on what happens at or after the moment of death. However, could you expound just a bit for those of us who hold no one else responsible for their choices, but are searching to expand their ideas, understanding, and to comprehend more about this event we will all experience? Or could you offer some more on how you arrived at your current view and some good resources you would suggest for further digging? I know you are also somewhat hesitant to recommend too many books, as you may think it may impede discovery for oneself. However, some of your reading suggestions have directly contributed to fuller understanding, which then led to even more understanding and so on and so forth. Okay, yeah. Um, first of all, you've got to understand, I speak to a large audience a lot of times when I get in front of this microphone, and with that comes a responsibility to be a decent human being and a, an adult and think about what you're going to do before you do it. Um, you know, a lot of things that get said, there are people in this world that will just take it to heart. But to get back to the point, the way that I did it is I looked at every spiritual tradition in the world, and I mean every spiritual tradition that I could get my hands on, um, from the most remote tribes to bigger things like Hinduism to Buddhism to things that preceded it all in India, over to the West, over, I mean, just all spiritual traditions. And one of the things I noticed, and even in early Christianity, by the way, and by the way, I'm doing research now around when the occult stuff came into the Vatican. And the reason I bring that up is because it has to do. There is a claim that in early Christianity, everyone accepted that we were being reincarnated or recycled or whatever you want to say. That slowly left the doctrine of all forms of Christianity in the West, but it was there in the beginning. Almost every tradition I've ever looked at, you're getting recycled. That's what they're telling you. Does it make it true? No doesn't, does it? You can read a lot of books and read a lot of things, but when you see it across enough cultures, I think a reasonable human being has to think about it. Here's where I'm coming from. The more you know about this world, the mo more you know you're being coerced, basically, fooled, uh, living a life of illusion because you don't believe in things um, that are true, and you've been fooled into believing in things that are false. So if we live this life under those conditions, how can we expect that if, in fact, we do go on after we leave our mortal coil, the body here, that we're not co coerced further. That's how it started for me. I will suggest that in almost every tradition, and there are exceptions, there is the idea of lights. The most prominent that I have seen played over and over is there's a very bright light that will scare the crap out of you, and there's a very dull, inviting light 
If you go into the dull inviting light, you get recycled in almost all cases. There are variations on this. But as for me telling you anymore, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified because I don't know any more than the next person. I've done a lifetime of research, but it does not make the plan that I'm making for myself the correct one. So I would suggest that everyone you know, listens to how I got to where I am. If you find value, there are some ways you can start to try to decide for yourself. Um, that's really the best I can do. Jason? Well, I'm quite firmly entrenched in the idea of reincarnation and the concept of schoolhouse earth. It just feels right to me that you keep coming back to advance yourself spiritually, which is why you don't have direct memories of previous lives or else uh, that's kind of cheating, isn't it? But I think that we come back here and that's why you see people of all ages who kind of seem a little different. You can meet a young person who seems like they could possibly be a much older person or a young person who could be, uh, seems like they should know better, and which happens a lot, unfortunately. I, I, I myself even have some experiences from when I was really, really young, like under five, saying things to my father that uh, I shouldn't have been able to do at that age. And I remember him telling me about it later in life. And I do kind of remember as well. So I think that's the... Uh, whatever you want to call it, the spiritual self kind of poking through the, the mortal coil, as it were. So I, I'll, I'll add one more thing. In almost every tradition that I've ever looked into that matters, the human, what I'll call the soul, it's not our, always referred to in that way, but I think the intent is the same across the board. So what we think of as the human soul is immortal. There are very few traditions that say something like when the lights go out, that's it. Um, almost all the big ones and all the old ones that we know and many of the ones that people have never heard of from some obscure tr tribe somewhere in Africa um, that is the idea that the, the human soul goes on after the body dies. So there's that. All right. Second part to book food. Are you familiar with the 2000 movie Aeon Flux? A blatant, though admittedly fascinating Hollywood portrayal of the moon being directly involved with reincarnation, with the elite living basically multiple lifetimes and more. A super interesting watch, despite knowing the junk that Hollywood does. Um, I'm kind of obliquely aware of Eon Flux, and I think more so because, if I'm not mistaken, it was a comic book um, that I might have been familiar with prior to it ever being any kind of a movie or a TV show. As a matter of fact, I think there was a cartoon that yeah. way back that yeah. was on TV they, they as well. It and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really the same. No, the, 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 it kind of had a cult following when it was a comic book. Um, but here's the thing. Anyone who pays attention to what media does with the moon will get the distinct feeling that death and the moon are tied. Um, if you even just went to the basic natural principles that um, the sun is electric and the moon is magnetic, the sun is positive in polarity and the moon negative, and that is not to say bad, it's like a battery, negative and positive ends, not a bad end and a good end, it's not what we're saying here, um, you can start to surmise that there's an absolute connection in one way or another to lunacy, to sleeping, and to death with regard to the moon. Um, not only that, we have things like the Truman Show that take it a step further to absurd levels where Kristoff is based there and controlling the entire life cycle of Truman or trying, as we know Truman gets away, on a boat with a number on the sail that is actually a psalm from the Bible for people who weren't aware of that. So from my point of view, they've started to shield this 
in in media and movies but if you go back to like the 50s or the golden age of hollywood it's very common to see a human being be killed a quick four or five frame cut to the moon or less and then a baby being born it happened so much it's what clued me in long before the internet age it had clued me in that there was a connection there as a matter of fact last time i think i saw some clark gable movie i can't remember the name of it um but what would you add jason yeah, I remember the cartoon, and it had a lot of very strange transhumanist elements to it. That's for sure. the The main bad baddie in it uh, had like a laboratory and was always doing crazy ass experiments. Uh, there was a lot of things like uh, cybernetic cybernetics that were like extremely powerful over the general public, and people were always doing stuff to themselves and very telling of the kind of things we've discussed many times before, but that's the general premise of the series. Now I didn't get the impression. I didn't watch it that much, but the ones I did see, it didn't seem like very much like it was countries. It was more like corporations kind of a thing, like a lot of dystopian right. future series have. Re-echoing. Yeah. That that's the way I, I took it. And, uh, of course, the, these big mega corporations are always pioneering the new technologies to be superior to someone else, and they always have their own standing militaries and things like that. So that's the general concept, so a dystopian future with lots of tech. And it's one of the earlier versions. Jason and I were just talking about animation in general. Um, have you noticed this really kind of gross? I, I describe it as gross animation, low-minded. Um, there was one there from the 90s where the Canker Sisters, and I know this because my nephews watched it, but the characters were just so lewd and grossly drawn. I think the first version I'm aware of is Ren and Stimpy, but truly the first version is The Simpsons. And you can see how this idea, and it, it creeps into Eon Flux, because Eon Flux is a bit disturbing. And it's not clean, clean, happy, go lucky, you know, animation. It's far from that. Um, there's an element to all the animation these days, even to the point where this Bob's Burgers, which I don't think, I know I've never seen a full episode, the guys who, who make Family Guy have openly made fun of the level of animation, saying they didn't graduate art school. These <laughs> are these are planned endeavors. This is to lower the human intellect. That's what that's about, to be clear. Anyhow. All right, next up we have Alan. First question, what is your take on numerology? I had mine done, and the information did not match for me, maybe 25%. I think the information about the zygote plays into this. I believe in a higher power creator, but religion makes it sound like that. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will go to hell. What about all the indigenous okay. people? I think and believe they went to heaven or they're a good place. Not knowing Jesus at all, they are before his time. All right, kind of two, up, two points there. All right. Well, to take the last part, how do you accept that this is a creation and there's a creator and then not accept that every living thing here was put here by the creator and deserves the respect of any other? You know, that's that's my first problem. But to get to the, the beginning of it, what, what was the, the first portion there, Jason? Uh, let's see. The first person was what your take on numerology is. OK. All right. So here's the thing about numerology. Um, people who have not been tuned in for a long time find it insane that numbers could be used in this way and i've been looking at it for a long time and i can assure you that there is no portion of our modern existence that isn't being run by numerology but i'll also agree with you it is absolutely insane to have to think about valid information and here's why some of the information that i'm getting into which is well documented by the way by other authors and other sources going way back all the way to Plato before Plato um, some of the information I'm going through now um, numerology seemed to come to be a thing when masonry did 
there is a movement of people who do kind of what Jason and I do that are trying to show there is no world leader, no royal that is not a Mason of some kind. Um, the research I'm doing now uh, kind of points to, I don't know if I'm ready to accept it, that the Masonic movement grew out of the Rosicrucians, and that all happened at the Vatican when hermetic ideas were adopted by high ups in the Vatican. This is why I'm doing the research, to try to show when did the occult principles get adopted and misused by the Vatican. Um, so to get back to the main point, numerology is used everywhere. The problem becomes numerology is a bit like a puzzle, and a puzzle that requires a key could have its key shifted endlessly, or you see where I'm going here. Um, but someone, a, an avid follower, had gone back to old episodes where I was looking for a text written by Householder on a form of numerology I think has legs. Jason and I believe we have a full version thanks to that person. They know who they are, thank you. Um, and we'll go back on these ideas later. Here's the problem, the first householders, all we got was the number manipulation portion out of a quite long book. The whole center of it was cut out. But what we were, what I was able to prove is that the number manipulation had been purposely screwed with so that your calculations came out wrong. The problem with all this is there are a number of forms of numerology. You could use single digits, you could use multiple digits, you could go to Kabbalah where this certain number has a meaning attached to it. My point is, is it is complex and it is run by some of the smartest people who exist in this world. Unfortunately, they're black hearts. Jason? Well, there's obviously something to mythology. I, I think uh, Gematria proves that out. And uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, ladies and gentlemen, because the elite of the world, whatever you want to call them, absolutely have a stake in this stuff and use it all the time. That much is quite evident and obvious. Let me uh, try to prove that out. Today is the superb owl, um, also known as the Super Bowl. If I'm not mistaken, it's the 33rd day of the year. The date is 2 2 Two two, uh, two four six eight. Who do we not appreciate? And to top it off, if I'm not mistaken, being the thirty third day would leave three hundred and thirty three days left. Seem like this date might have been planned for an event. Just asking. All right. Let's see where we at here. Yeah, I I've, uh, I forgot about that second part there. Religion does make it sound like Christian religion makes it sound like if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. I I I don't. I don't see how that could possibly be, because obviously there are plenty of people in the world who might not have heard of the Christian religion and all the the trappings that go with it. So anyway. well, let me add, let me add this: who 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 the hell made you judge, jury, and executioner? If there is a creator and there is a God, then I would suggest the keys reside there on who goes where. So this idea that people somehow know is is beyond laughable. It's childish to think in this way, from my point of view. Kevin, thank you so much for the $7.77 uh, Super Chat. I don't see a question, but we definitely got a nice little wink, so thank you so much. Cheers. All right, next we have Karen. Do you have a favorite Bible version? At this point, what do you accept as the timeline for when people were created until now? Well, that's, you know, this is the problem with being a human being. Logical deduction tells us that a birthright of every living human being should be able to know how did we get here, how long we've been here, what are we supposed to do. These are the things that have been screwed with endlessly. History is erased. Uh, endless tales about how we came to be in the beginning. 
some of it in religious allegory, which may have roots in, in some factual account. But without the keys, it's just allegory or it's a religion that you choose to follow. What is the actual true firsthand account? Um, and, and these are the problems. What, what was the other part of that, Jason? Uh, that accepted timeline from people were created until now. So the general consensus with a lot of okay. very hardcore Bible folks is that the uh, entirety of, of the earth and its history is only about 6,000 years. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that's where she's going with that. All right. So you got two options here. Um, and everything I do is based in logic. And believe me, I have a huge spiritual side to my life, but it's my own. It's be between me and this creation. I share it with nobody. Um, and there's a good reason for that. I find religion and politics does nothing but cause fights, and I'm not interested in fighting in this world. My point would be is your logical options are that we've always been here, that your life has always been going, or that it started at some point, and that becomes the basis for trying to logically work out what the possibilities are. I will point out to you that as far as I know, one of the oldest calendars going right now is the Hebraic calendar of Judaism. It goes back, last I checked, it might be a little off, 700, uh, 7,000, what is it, 7,780, I think. Um, I have that right, because I remember when it clicked over to 7777. Um, so why does that calendar start there, you see? Now, we've had other people that come in to show the Admiralty Law, and we can absolutely tie Admiralty Law partially to the Old Law or the Old Testament or the Jewish Torah as part of that, and then the New Testament. And there is so much compelling evidence there as to be indismissible to me. Why is it that we have a year one for the Juda Judaic calendar, which goes back, but for the Christian calendar, the Western world calendar, there is no year one, or year zero, I mean. So, you know, you see what I'm saying here? And this all ties into the forms of law we got. My, my main point here is if you choose a religious tradition, then that's up to you to accept or to work out whatever it has to offer. From my point of view, how we got here, when we got here, and what we're supposed to be, do, be doing while we're here have been three of the things that have been most covered up, um, and it's our birthright. Jason. All right. I would say the, uh, the best thing to use is the oldest you can find, and that's true with just about anything. Right. Well, I, I'm about that all the time because the modern edit has become so overwhelming. Um, the, the tone and tenor or even communication level of modern text doesn't come anywhere near what you will find in older texts. They are higher minded. There is a broader use of language. There is a thing that is imaginary but exists that I call the modern edit. Um, and it does not exist in the same way when you get far enough back in time. These are good things to know when you're researching. All right, next up is Paula. I was talking with someone at work who has a really great telescope about the flat Earth concept. Got mocked, of course, but he decided to send me a shot he took of the ISS in front of the sun. What are your thoughts on this picture? What could the ISS be if it isn't in space? I have tried doing some research, but haven't really found any explanation. So it's there. I can assure you I've seen it with my eye. I've seen it through a scope. Um, I've tried to film it. If he filmed it with a scope, he's got some skill because it's moving right along, crosses the face of the moon in less than a second. Um, we don't, we haven't figured out how they're faking it. Uh, there are people that we talk with that think two separate things are going on. When you see it with your naked eyes and it's just a light, did you lose me? Okay. When you see it with just your naked eyes and it's a light, 
we think one thing is going on. And when you see that little black outline that zips across the moon, we think a different thing altogether is going on. It remains to be shown, but we can pretty much show that there is nothing called the ISS in space. Um, we can start to put very compelling evidence forward that there is a thing called a hard, fast barrier, or for some, the firmament, or for some, the dome, um, and that we're in a closed system, even allegorized in the beginning of the movie Citizen Kane, by the way, regularly voted the best movie of all time. From my point of view, yeah, you can see a thing. Can you see it every time you're supposed to? I don't know. And that's where I would start if I wanted to challenge that. I would look up all the listed times that it's supposed to be visible and go test to see if that's true. That's where I would start. But beyond that, when you see a light in the sky that's supposedly 250 or 300, I forget, 300 miles away, come on, man. We don't see that far. That's a no-brainer. It's like the old Sputnik joke. How many people saw the Sputnik? I got news for you. Nobody saw the Sputnik. It's the size of a small beach ball, and it was 350 miles away. Nobody sees that far. You could take a million-power Q-beam from that far away and shine it at Earth. You would not see it. Um, these are the problems. We'll work out at some point how it's being faked. The current thinking right now is that when you see it as a light, it's being faked one way. And when you see it as that little projection that goes across the moon, it's being faked in a different way. And by the way, when it crosses the moon, one of the only times, there are a few times when you can pick up the shape. And by the way, the shape is akin to what you think it should be. That happens in less than a second most times when it crosses the moon. So there's all that. Yeah, there's definitely something there. There's no doubt about that. My, what I always keep in mind is that what exactly are they faking it for? We have so much on that now, just showing that uh, blue screen, green screen kind of work is going on when we have random little failures. I've watched a bunch of the stuff and I know enough about filmmaking to know that uh, there's something up there. So we we have to keep that in mind and, and just uh, more data is like I always say, we need more data. It gets even worse because um, when I got my last mead, I had a Mead from the 90s. It was the best, toughest scope, and I didn't realize that they'd shifted to a Chinese owner and they were manufactured in Tijuana. So I bought a 12-inch um, that failed, and I ended up throwing it back. But that scope actually had a track the IS function, ISS function built into it, where it would wait until it was supposed to be there. It would sound an alarm and then go supposedly try to pick it up. And I thought, come on. But I'll tell you what, that scope did nothing but fail. Point is, is there's a light there. And there is a shape occasionally under the right conditions. But from my point of view, it's all smoke and mirrors. Next up is Bruce. The little I in front of the date on ancient coins has bothered me for some time. Was this some Latin symbol? Does it stand for Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord? Is it supposed to be a one like we are used to and the years of ancient coins are accurate to current time? Dropping the I from I-475 puts a different perspective on the historical timeline. Wow. So I don't, I certainly don't have enough experience to answer this intelligently because I'm trying to picture in my mind exactly what you're pointing out. And my yeah, brain I've is telling seen it. me. It's, it's, it's that the years are stamped on these older coins and they have an I in front of it where you might think a one would be. Well, I, if I had to render a guess, uh, depending on the age of the coin, Julius Caesar was a big deal, and that would be rendered as an I, not a J in Latin, as would the name of Jesus. In the same way we mark everything A.D. 
Anno Domini, or basically after Dominion, uh, marking the birth of Jesus as the big thing, there was apparently quite a bit of this going on around Julius, who was one of the first entry. But that is just a blind guess um, as a possibility. I'm still trying to picture what you guys are pointing out. I don't know enough to answer that. Well, let's look into that one more and we'll reassess it because I know what he's talking about, but I haven't uh, really researched the heck out of it to give a, an extremely educated answer, but I am familiar with it. I've seen plenty of pictures of it. So let's just well, uh, here, make a note to go back here, to it. Here's a thing that I'll point out that's always bothered me. So I, my, my young nephews got into coins and then their whole family did. So I went to a couple coin shows with them. And it bothered me to no end that you could walk up and get Roman coins for like a nickel, dime, a quarter apiece, whole bins full of these old coins. Mm. And then this coin, this quarter that was minted, you know, last decade was worth all this money, used to bother the crap out of me. And I finally decided they must be counterfeiting those. Because if they are truly ancient, there's only so many of them. How come everyone has a bin of them? Like they were just litter, you know, that always used to bother me. That's what I'll add. Uh, well, the quarters in certain other kinds of currency may have been made out of real silver. So that could be why they had an actual uh, higher value. Well, not not all. Some of them were silver, but I'm talking insane values for silly things like a messed up mint mark or, you know, only so many were printed or there was all these rules. I've forgotten them all, but what made them valuable? But my point is it was just made. In our lifetimes, this is Roman and Greek stuff, and they handed them out. You know, they used to have these little raffles where you could grab a handful of Greek coins, and I was going like, really? I don't know. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I remember seeing them years and years and years ago when I was at the um, the Luxor Hotel in uh, Vegas. They were selling them, and I was like, huh, I thought they'd be worth more than that. All right, moving on. Marlene is next. For those of us who have put Christianity under the microscope and found it to be lacking and flawed, just more Rome, yet we deeply seek and need spiritual truth and a path to follow. What help, direction, or insight is there in the Bhagavad Gita, the Dhammapada, and the Upanishads? Okay. Um, I want to thread the needle here. This is... The most trouble we ever have, Jason and I running this show, it's about religion. Every time it's about religion. If we cover some spiritual tradition and someone else feels like we didn't cover theirs, all of a sudden we get all these poison pen emails. And so it becomes a real challenge to thread the needle. The ones you mentioned last there are ancient knowledge. If you take things like the Dhammapada, I wouldn't necessarily call that religious per se. What they are are teachings for a human being to recognize truths about this world and hopefully amend the things they do in life that could be improved upon. Per se, it's not like you're worshiping or doing any of these things. As to get back to the, to the Christianity comment you made up front, I don't think there's a book that I, I know there's no book that I've read more in my life than the Bible, versions of the Bible. Um, oh, that, that's from a past. Someone asked me and I didn't answer it. So let me answer it real quick. Um, the most interesting Bible I ever read was called Lampsa by a guy who claimed to grow up speaking Aramaic. And one of the most interesting, the Geneva, which was in heavy favor when this country was supposedly young. To get back to the point, um, just because you're questioning how you spiritually looked at the Bible, I would suggest to you that any old spiritual tradition that's passed the test of time has many levels of meaning. 
Jason and I have gone in to even show the sky clock is there in the Bible and the scripture and so much more. So maybe it's the point of view. My point here is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because what people tend to do is say, I no longer find value here. It's out. And the problem is that book you're throwing out has been around a long, long time. Um, and that alone tells you there's a reason. And so whether or not you choose to spiritually pursue it in the way you previously had, um, that's entirely on you. But for the Eastern traditions, what you're mostly going to find is time-tested truths about the natural world. Things like this, like in the Dhammapada, it'll tell you, if, if you constantly say, oh, woe is me, people are beating on me, people are being mean to me, then they equate that you're perpetuating the, the, the woe that you're complaining about. And the way they end up illustrating it is this is the same as the cart follows the hoof of the ox. You see things like this. It's, you can't really say that's not true. It is true when you understand what's being laid down. They'll say things like, Seven miles is a long way to walk when you've been walking all night and you're dead tired. These are meant like parables to make you think about what it means to be human. So from a Western point of view, I think it's good to look at the Bhagavad Gita, to look at the, upon, uh, the Upanishads, um, and to look at the Dhammapada, particularly the Dhammapada. That's one I would have all people read just so they can get a taste of, of Eastern wisdom. I'm not sure I would equate that with how the West thinks about religion in most cases, though. Right. I, I always recommend just meditation. And then there's no main way to do it. Just do it. Try and connect yourself with the universe and, and let what you experience and feel lead you on the right path. That's what I do. And it's the easiest thing. I don't need a book to tell me anything, anything like that. There's no songs to sing, nothing like that. Just you and the universe connect and see what you feel and let that be your guide. Well, there's another thing to be said. Those really old traditions you mentioned, those are people that are right there with nature. There is no separating what was written at that time from people who lived and learned directly from nature where there is no lie. That's the thing we've kind of lost here. Um, believe me, I just had to get a new car and it's like, I, I can't even tell you. If you don't own a smartphone, which I don't, with apps, um, I actually had one of the guys come and, and ask me today because I didn't have a smartphone with apps, how I was going to set up my car. And then he looked me in the eye and said, how do you live? I'm not, even, I'm not And then he asked me how I was going to start my car. And I said, with a key, like I did when I was 15. <laughs> but anyhow, um, there's, there's my take on all that. But basically, to, to nutshell this before I hand it on, to get all those other traditions from other parts of the world, that's what I consider an education to a human mind. Understanding other societies, other ways of thinking, older ways of thinking. But I don't suggest you throw out things like the Bible. Um, how you choose to view them is yours. But um, I, I don't think there's a tradition I've ever looked at that didn't have a hell of a lot encoded beneath the surface. Yeah, I can agree with that. Next up is Christine. I've been watching California burning and now Australia. Wildfires have existed, but I don't remember anything ever like this. There's talk of DAWs, which is Directed Energy Weapons, for those of you who may not know, being the cause. There are pictures of trees which survive, but specific houses have been destroyed. I know photographs can be manipulated, so some are saying it's just the underbrush. Uh, underbrush never existed before to start such great grand fires. Just wondered where you're at with this. It's all a put up. 
um, I, I grew up in Southern California and you expected to have wildfires. Some of them got gnarly, like the Laguna fire when I was young. But you want to know something? There was one Laguna fire. You expected to see them every six, seven, eight years or something like that. Um, there would be fires and some of them would get bad like the Laguna fire did. But what's going on now is every year there are fires. There are multiple fires and they are severe in, in the intensity. And here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people doing work rightly recently to show that strontium, borium, and forms of aluminum are being sprayed into the sky. All these things can accelerate a fire. So what happens when the atmosphere has been saturated with these three metals? They get into the plants, the plants ingest them, and then the plants burn. I'm just saying, I think this... I think that line of research has legs all day. And not only that, I saw some people burning the aforementioned metals and then showing the color of some of the footage of these fires. I think there's a correlation there. But here's the thing. Um, it's like the school shootings, isn't it? You know, according to some sources, we had a shooting every day in a school last year. Really? Really? What's the name of the next virus I can believe in if you follow? Yeah, absolutely. It uh, just gets silly. Now, directed energy weapons, I have no doubt those are real. And a lot of these fires are happening coincidentally where uh, large government bodies want to put other things. So I don't think that's a coincidence. Do you? No, um, we have a historical record. It's unfortunate that we're all turning into the animals and animal farm. We can't remember what happened four or five years ago. Um, that's the whole barn. That's the whole teaching of the barn wall and animal farm. The poor animals couldn't remember the truth of four years ago, so they finally had to decide what they saw on the barn wall was in fact the laws that had already been there when in fact the laws had been changed, and that's what's going on here. You know, we just posted, you know, I think it was David Weiss provided a thing t saying all the viruses that were supposed to come kill us from 2002 forward. I mean, really? Is our memory that short? These things were going to kill us. We had Ebola. We had Zika. We had swine flu. We had bird flu. We had duck flu. We had pig flu. We, you know, it's ridiculous. And besides that, um, for the Ebola stuff, I showed the green electric green encoding, the mind trigger that was put into all the Ebola imagery. Um, and by the way, they didn't even back off it after it was outed. When they came back on Ebola not too long ago, all the green was back. <laughs> These things are put-ups, and we have a historical record in this world. So if we can look at the 80s and there wasn't a virus every other month, why is there now? There's two options. Either it's a lie or somebody's making something and putting it into the environment. And by the way, the first thing I said there is the truth. All right, next up is from Hi. First question. Hoaxbuster on YouTube, well, we definitely love him, had posted a video about the rainbow. I thought it was so interesting. There are many rainbows in mythology, but most famously in Norse myths. As a child, I had also read a Japanese origin myth in which the gods Izanagi and Izanami descended to Earth on a rainbow bridge. Thoughts on the significance of rainbows and how the symbolism is encoded or used, misused, today so here you are back to some very old traditions that are allegorizing and encoding things that matter and how do we know they matter well because it wasn't just the japanese the big time norse myth that has permeated so much of western civilization actually before marvel but now so widely with marble but think about what we're talking about here it's light right 
that rainbow is light. It's how the light spectrum breaks out in the physical or the visible spectrum. That narrow sliver we can see with our eyes is the rainbow. Um, these things are important. And what I have come to understand is there's only one force. It's called electricity. Another man, after I'd come to that conclusion, another man, Walter Russell, wrote the Universal One. He said the same thing. Um, and I realized that me and this man see eye to eye. He's just a hell of a lot smarter than I'll ever be. Um, and he also took apart the periodic table to say it was wrong. I'd already arrived at that. But the point I'm making here is when you go out in the world and you see all this variety in color, what are you looking at? You're looking at the rainbow, right? If you see a green leaf, what's going on there? Light is reflecting in the green spectrum to your eye. So you can understand the importance of what's being encoded there. Not so easy all the time to get back to the allegory of the information it's holding. Let's not forget that the uh, LGBT community has now taken the rainbow symbolism for themselves, and that's pretty much what it's equated with all the time now these days. Uh, it's up to you to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a thing. It has been done. If I'm not mistaken, the typical rainbow has historically been demonstrated with seven colors. Um, the BGTLBQTRX flag is um, not accurate to the spectrum we see. Uh, I looked, is it the purple? I forget. Anyhow, there's something about it that doesn't match the spectrum exactly, but that's beside the point. Human beings have free will, and if they want to use that, human beings have free will. Um, if you don't agree with it, you have free will. Go do things you think are worthwhile. That's what I, I would point out, because part of the thing that flag is doing is singling out a group of people to cause trouble. I go by a church all the time here, and on the top of that church, it says, all people are welcome. And then it has the, the gay, lesbian, I can't remember the whole thing, flag. Well, no, no. What you're doing there is you're causing crisis. Because if all people were welcome, all you would need to say is all people are welcome. Mm -hmm. You don't say all people are welcome and then point, hey, you black people too. Hey, you Indians? Well, okay, you Indians. Oh, you gay people? Yeah, maybe you too. You see, that's a whole other thing, and what it's designed to do is to create strife because someone out there is going to have a problem with it, and the people who are in these groups are going to feel insulted. And under those conditions, gas will constantly be poured on fire. So I'm just saying, people have free will, and the truth of it is the only, the only thing you can change in this world is your own mind. And if you infringe on others, you're overstepping your bounds. Common law is the most godly basis for human existence that I have ever come across. You don't harm someone. You don't cause them loss. These very simple rules. No law is broken. And by the way, the worth of a human being is above the idea of a courtroom. You see, and if you go back to these ideas, you begin to understand live and let live, man. It's that simple. Speaking of Hoaxbuster, I understand the difficulties in conducting a spoken interview with him, but how about a focused interview or discussion in blog form on your site? Um, you broke right in the middle there, so what was it? A blog speaking specifically of, designed... Yeah, speaking of Hoaxbuster, I understand the difficulties in conducting a spoken interview with him, but how about a focused interview discussion in blog form on your site? Mm, it's not a bad idea. Um, he's highly intelligent, but man, he has the most 
pardon my French, badass Scottish brogue you will ever hear. Um, I'm pretty good at accents, and it took me about 10 minutes to key in so that we could communicate. Um, he is Scottish to the core, and I'll tell you something about those Scotsmen. They don't roll over, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Remember the living man? <laughs> the living man down there? He's a Scotsman. These people do not take BS. Um, that's not a bad idea, and I did give him a lifetime membership to Crow777radio.com. If someone wants to start a forum thread and bring this up, if he's around, maybe we'll see what happens. Awesome, yeah. Anything we can do to get his work out there is a good thing. All right, next question. He, does, he, does, he doesn't miss much. Oh, no, definitely not. During the Box Saga episode, it was claimed that the language within the tale suggested a round earth. Of course, many of us have a hard time with this view based on what we've learned and surmised. However, what do you think of a model in which the dome of the firmament not only extends over our heads, but under the earth as well? This would fit the idea of the earth being a kind of alchemical flask. The plane that we reside on would perhaps be in the middle of this model. In that way, the earth can be seen as both round and flat. To be clear, the part living things actually reside on would be the flat plane. Does this model sound like anything you guys have researched in the past? I've compared our closed system to the alchemical flask before for the simple reason that alchemy was the science before it was co-opted that did everything within the scope of nature, never exceeding nature. And so if alchemy is true, then how can the ability to do alchemy not reside within a flask? But to get back to the first part of that, I saw the language of the box saga, and here's my take. The people who transmitted the portions they did transmit, in my estimation, were as honest as a human being can be. They believed with every ounce of their heart and mind what they were putting forward. But here's what I noticed. Some of the language that I saw put forth could have been easily interpreted to be round. See, remember the ring ideas? How everything was in rings as it went out? Do you remember me covering the angles of sorrow and the angles of joy? These are 90 degree squares. Those are the angles of sorrow. Well, back here in this paradise time, everything was a ring. There were no angles of sorrow, but it did occur to me at the time that the assumption for uh, a globular earth was all based on someone's presumption that the language they were looking at meant that. And when I looked at it, I thought it could easily mean they were referring to the rings of civilization on this plane, almost to the point where was it possible that back then nobody questioned whether was it a plane. And when they said round, it was all about the rings where people lived. I'll put that forward. Um, but I, I don't get tied up on these things. Um, you've got to realize the amount of effort that's been exerted to put a false perception of our world. And so how can you shame someone for believing what you believed in before 2013? Because I know damn well the lunar wave came one month before people started to really tout the flat earth movement and challenge things. So what that means is we're all pretty much in a similar place prior to 2013, most of us, not all of us, but the vast majority. So I don't think it's helpful to get hung up on, you know, if I'm talking to an intelligent person who's using round and globe as a descriptor the whole time, I don't care. I take it in stride. I think to myself, I don't think that's probably correct, but it doesn't bother me because I did once think that was correct. So who the hell am I to judge this person when I can't prove certainly that I'm right and they can't prove certainly, although I can give proofs that show pretty 
pretty pointedly that we're not spinning on a globe. My point here is why get tied up in the minutia? Take the learning all around it and let the model worry about itself. There will come a day. I, I, I imagine there will come a day. Next up is Brian. I've heard some people saying that the elite want artificial intelligence and transhumanism so that they can be the gods of this world and live forever. If they really know more than us about this place we call Earth, I am guessing that they would also know that there's more to existence than this physical world. What's puzzling me is why would they want to stay in this place forever? James True even touched on how miserable of an existence it would be to be all-knowing in, 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 and immortal in this place. Is it possible that transhumanism is actually a trap for us profane? They actually want us to make ourselves immortal and trapped on this earth so that we do not ascend to other states of existence or realms. Or is it that they know they will be judged for the atrocities they have performed and are trying to escape judgment by trapping themselves here? You know, we live in a world of extremes. Maybe those people can't escape. Did you ever consider that? Maybe there's no real options because of everything that's been done. I think about it all the time. And I also think, is this really what they want for themselves or is this really what they want for everyone else? But then we come back to the immortality idea. Um, yeah. Can you imagine? And, and that, that's not even the half of it. If they got their one world order and they had control of everything, that means a small group of men and women would control it all. And that would be like living in a white shark tank. The guy at the top would constantly be eyeing the next guy in line, nipping at his heels. Want, you know, what kind of an existence is that? We've seen all the lying and deceit they do. So would you want to live in a world where that's what it is? Would you want to have control of a deceitful, you know, king? Basically, it's the opposite of what George Bush said. This is not the law of the jungle. No BS, George Bush. That's exactly what it is. The guy with all the power and knowledge gets what he wants. It's no different than the, than the lion at the watering hole, sir. Just to be clear, I'm not fooled by your nonsense. You know, the rule of law, my butt. You've broken so many laws to get where you're at and you've used power to do it. But to get back to the point, think about a human body that's been modified to the point where all the old ideas of a human being, what's possible, utilizing the energies and the chakras and all these other things that have been described by so many traditions to go to heaven, to go to enlightenment to escape the cycle of rebirth. I could give you probably 10 or 15 ways of describing basically the same idea. How do I escape from this turmoil? Um, and the point I would make is I think what it actually does is misery likes company, right? Maybe there's some people stuck here and they want other people to be stuck here too. Cause each one of us that grows up being righteous and pure of heart is that much closer to not having to hang out with them. Is that a possibility? Maybe. Well, I don't doubt that the elite of this world have a lot more knowledge that they're keeping to themselves uh, as far as technology and esoteric knowledge. And I think that they, at the highest levels, are probably in tandem with some sort of dark spiritual entities. But what exactly those may be and what sort of relationships they truly have, I don't know if we'll ever be privy to that. Well, from my point of view, this is all very cut and dry and simple. If you have to hide a thing in a dark space so people can't see what it is and understand it for what it is, then that's deceit. That's black. That's dark. On the other hand, if you go out in the light of a full day under God's bright sun and do what you're going to do where everyone can see, that is respectable. If you will do a thing in front of your mother, then you can certainly do that anywhere in the world. 
But if you will not do a thing in front of your mother, then you're probably doing a shameful thing. It's the same thing. And I'll go right back to uh, 1991, September 11, George Bush, the senior. And we may have this world order that's not the law of the jungle. It's the rule of law. No complete poppycock. They've broken every damn rule of decency. They've lied. They've connived. They've run admiralty law to resemble other forms of law. They've tied it all to the Bible, and they've kept it within a bloodline of elite people. None of it is the rule of law. All of it is the law of the jungle. And they can tell lies to themselves or the rest of the world, but some of us out here are intelligent enough to see through the nonsense. And the point is, is if those guys got what they want, Basically, you're living with the law of the jungle. The strongest person in those conditions will be the guy who has the control. Who the hell wants to live like that? Hmm. Next is Gina from Michigan. Question one. Do you think listening to solfagio frequencies through a phone affects the vibration negatively? Would it be more beneficial to experience them on a phonograph? Yes. And here's why a phone is digital. A phonograph is analog. In other words, the, the sound waves coming off your phonograph have some basis in reality. Everything that comes out of a digital device has zero basis in reality. None. It's an imitation. It's a fugazi. It's a counterfeit. The entire digital world is a counterfeit of a world we had a short while ago called analog where human beings had a disc made from vinyl or wax back in the day, and this needle made of a diamond scrubbed across it, generating a sound wave from a real thing made in nature to another real thing made in nature to a wave that hit your ear, which was also made in nature. Now what you have is a microprocessor creating a fugazi, an artificial replica, a fake, a simulation, an approximation of an analog function. That's what's going on. A lot of people won't agree with me, but I don't care. Um, you know, just today I was told I can't have my new car because I refuse to have a smartphone with apps. And I told them I beg to differ. At which point they looked at me stunned and said, how do you live? And I looked at them stunned and said, the same way I did when I was 15 years old. What the hell is wrong with you people? He even asked me how I'd start my car. And I had to look him in the eye and say with the key, um, you see what an artificial existence does. Well, I could tell you there's a lot of debates even in professional circles. Did I lose you, Jason? No, I'm right here. Can you not hear me? We're getting, you know, we're getting a huge break, and I'm, I'm actually seeing all my stuff um, reload. Go ahead. Okay. There are a lot of uh, debates that go on even in professional audio circles, things that I read about, uh, between digital and analog and how much of a difference there really is. But to break this down to the common person's thing, listening to the solfagio on a phone versus listening to it on a higher-end system, the phone isn't going to reproduce the, the complete frequencies just because the speakers are incapable of it. But even if you're hooking that up to something else, the digital-to-analog converter in most phones is not that good what I'm hearing in my studio where I'm sitting right now compared to what you would hear plugging a phone even into some speakers is probably night and day difference. I have a top-of-the-line analog-to-digital and digital-to-analog converter. I'm listening on very high-end monitors with a full frequency range all the way down to like, I forget what my sub goes down to, but it's like 20-something all the way up past 20, which I can't hear, in fact. Uh, it's a professional setup. So when I listen to the Sofagio Frequencies by Alex Michael, I'm getting as much of what he gave me 
is being reproduced quite accurately. So there's a lot to that. So I, I would tend to say that I'm getting more out of it than you might just listening on a phone, which has an extremely limited frequency range. But that being said, you can still listen to it and get a lot out of it as long as you listen on something that's a decent setup. Now, as far as let, let, oh, go ahead. the difference between analog and digital, uh, analog is always, always, always going to have a bit of a thicker, warmer sound due to the fact that there are physical apparatuses touching each other to create the waveforms. Digital is merely the reading of information, and just by the laws of physics of how digital is created, there are things missing. It's not one thing pressing against another to reproduce waveforms. It's the reading of information, and if you know, understand anything about bit rates and sampling rates, you'll know that digital, uh, just by its very nature, is lossy. The thing is that you're, if when you do high-end digital, like 24-bit, uh, 48, 96, 192, or even further, which we can do nowadays, th there's less information being lost. But technically speaking, there's still information being lost. But how much can a human being truly hear? Well, I mean, that's another one of those things that gets debated about. I don't, for me, it's not, it, it, it is what you can hear, but it goes deeper than that. There's a spiritual element. Um, something that's created from a real thing that exists physically in the world that produces a sound wave has a spiritual connection on a level that's indescribable to another human being, which also has a spiritual level. And here's how I'll demonstrate it. When you go out into the world in a bright, sunny day and you look across the field, what's making the color? What's making the color is every color in the world. When you go in and sit down in front of your mount monitor, what's making the color? Red green and blue and by the way for all of us who can remember grade school red green and blue are not even primary colors in the real world that would be red green and yellow remember back in grade school with the crayons the primaries you were taught were red green and yellow and it's even gotten so bad that the people will actually argue for the existence of green as a primary now and i'm here to tell you if i take a red and a blue crayon and mix them together, I will get purple. If I come into my computer and take red and blue and mix them together, I'll get this bizarre electric magenta. There's the difference. One of them is based in nature. The other one is a ghost in the machine. All right. Well, our hour is up, but we've got one more question from Gina. So shall we finish that out? I think we owe it to Gina. Preface. Since from the time I became aware of my own existence, around age four, I have questioned the globe Earth for my common sense reasons. At age 17, I was really mystified when a friend was teaching me how to use a compass in the woods, and he told me that, no matter where you are on Earth, the compass only points north, even if you were standing on the South Pole. I had so many questions. Sadly, I continued to trust NASA and my science teachers that we were hurling through some godless space on a ball and soaked up and relished all that astronomical BS until I turned 40 four years ago. Recently, I have been gathering evidence of a flat North Pole at the center Earth based on plant differences north and south of the equator, mainly focusing on the lack of deciduous trees and shrubs beginning roughly at the equator and south. Also, animal migration, tornado, and cyclone patterns above and below the equator. I am getting somewhere, but man, finding solid, worthwhile information online is dang near impossible. 
Does a search engine exist that doesn't censor and or kick out 40 ads for businesses before any straight-up information appears on its search returns? I can't deal on Google or DuckDuckGo anymore. Well, there, there's the problem. This is, you know, Jason and I thread this needle all the time, and I, I have sympathy for Jason because I know he uses the digital tools more than I do because I try to do most of it on books. But that's not easy either because getting those good books is becoming more difficult in the same way getting a good return on a search engine. But here's, you know, what would it be to wake up one morning and understand that to go north just means to be going center of the landmass? What if we all knew that for certain? You see, here's the thing that matters in everything you just said to me. What you are doing matters. And not only that, you tied it back to nature where there's no lie. Animal migrations, brilliant. All these types of things, how plants bloom. I recently saw research where someone claimed when you get to the North Pole and go, they, they realized that animals very close to the North Pole were migrating towards the North Pole and that warm wind was coming from the other side. There's all these things that have to be reworked out, and Jason and I were just talking about that. We don't have enough batters up at the plate. We got a few batters. Some of them are sluggers. Some of them not so much. Some of them get a base hit every now and again. Some of them keep trying and rarely get a base hit. But what we actually need is a damn dugout full of batters, every one of them ready to go up and take a swing at the plate, right or wrong. If it sticks to the wall, smarter people, more people, other ideas will come and take it further. So to me, understanding what we can't understand for sure right now is not nearly as important as hearing you personally involved in doing research that could end up mattering. That's what I take from, from your question. Ludlow Films, thank you for the $20 super chat. He says, for the little four-year-old Gina figuring it out, go Gina. Thanks, Berminator. You're awesome. <laughs> oh that's that's Ludlow okay I'm a little <laughs> slow on the I'm a little slow on that. I, you know, it's it's ironic that I have a degree in internet technology, and yet I'm a Luddite. I know it's it's funny to no end, but um, I'm still trying to figure out how I'll live without a cell phone. Um, you'll Jason, you'll lose a lot of sleep over that tonight, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so so in the phone, there's this wireless charger thing for a phone. I said, well, that's maybe a handy thing that I'd use, and he goes, that won't work on your phone. And he looked at me with derision, <laughs> <laughs> like like how dare you own a phone? And I looked him in the eye and I said, oh, well, I'm, my, you know what my next phone's going to be? It's going to be a flip phone, my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going retrograde from this nonsense as much as I can. But um, so we've got through all the questions. No, 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 no. We haven't. Oh, I thought you said we have one more. Uh, that was one more just from Gina. We've still got about seven more people to get through. How much over the top of the hour are we? Four minutes. Okay. Um, so I guess we're going to end up opening next week to complete the questions. But what I was going to say is you and I are going to start to incorporate some of the old telescopic video yes. and go back over ideas and update what we know to be correct. Now, even the name of the lunar wave, think of that, how much that's updated. If I was going to name it today, I'd call it the firmament wave, by the way. Not that I'm suggesting we change the name because everyone knows what it is now, but it's important to make these distinctions. Don't 
don't hold on to old things when you know they're out of date. And even though we may continue to call it the lunar wave, the point I'm making is from my point of view, anywhere the hard, fast barrier exists, it's possible that if there's a luminary there, we might detect these waves. Um, and these are big updates from back in the day. You, you can still go to my old clips on Crow Triple Seven Radio on YouTube and hear me say things like, we're reasonably sure the waves are only crossing the moon and not the full frame. That was based on what a video engineer did, by the way. But we now know it's incorrect. So we're going to go back through some of these things and uh, point some things out, and it should be interesting. Um, what else, Jason? All right. Well, we are over time, so thank you, everybody, for coming. Remember this week, episode 198 with John Brisson, and, of course, uh, this Wednesday nights, uh, 8 to 10 Central, Wayne and I will be li- uh, doing our weekly live stream. We haven't uh, decided on a topic yet, but I'll be posting that soon as well. Uh, of course, next Sunday we'll be back again here, and all this is on my Secrets of Saturn channel. So thank you so much for everybody showing up. It's been great. All right. I just want to say thanks to all the people over on DLive. Um, Thanks to the people on YouTube. Uh, We've reached a much wider audience since we've come to this platform for our Sunday night shows. And this will bring number two to an end. And I hope to see you all over at Crow777Radio.com this Thursday. And keep in mind, um, we pay for the server. We pay for the serving of all content. It is all privately held. Um, Not Google stuff. Not Google server. Not social media privately held and the whole reason for that you can find on the about page on that website that talks wholly about free speech and how critically important it is to have so there it is man cheers
enemies of knowing. Oh.